0: Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. You know, sometimes I have an opportunity to uh, meet with other pastors, and two pastors were, you know, talking and sharing. And, you know, sometimes we share uh, jokes and stories with each other. So one pastor began by saying, um, There were these two Swedes, Sven and Oli. And the other pastor says, Now, wait a minute. He said aren't you aware that we're in a politically correct uh, world and you can no longer do that that makes the Swedes feel really bad and so the first pastor says okay there were these two Norwegians and they were <laughs> and the other pastor says no you don't understand you can't use you know the slurs like that and so the second pastor thinks a little bit and he says Okay, well, in the Old Testament, there were these Hittites, and the Israelites totally destroyed the Hittites, so there aren't any Hittites living, so how about this? There were these two Hittites, and their names were Sven and Oli. (laughs) Uh, It's always good to wake up as we come together. Today we're talking about uh, the Father's kingdom. We're in this series on the Lord's Prayer. Last week, Alicia did an excellent job uh, kicking off this series and talking about the Father's character. And today we want to talk about the Father's kingdom. So what is the kingdom? And if there really is a kingdom, who's the king in this kingdom? And of course, we know the answer to that. Uh, Psalm 95 says, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. Music is really important. And, I mean, we were treated to just excellent uh, music this morning. The organ-piano duet, uh, Curtis and uh, Larissa, as they led us in worship songs. But it all points to the Father, the King, the Trinity, three and one. And um, from First Timothy chapter 6, we find this about Jesus. Chapter 6, verses 13 to 16. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this commandment without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal, and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. And then another scripture from the book of Revelation chapter 19. Uh, Let me begin at verse 11. It says, I saw heaven standing open And there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one but he himself knows. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the wine presses on the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has his name written, King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. This God whom we love, this God whom we serve, is present, is real, and his kingdom has come to this earth. But we're in a battle in this kingdom, and there's a battle that's going on between Satan and God, and we see this so clearly when Jesus began his ministry, and as we look at the Uh, gospel of Matthew, we can begin to see the tension and and what is going on there. The context is uh, the wilderness temptation, and right before Jesus uh, goes into the wilderness, if you remember the gospel story, Jesus is baptized. And at his baptism, there's a voice that comes from heaven and says, this is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased." And with those words, Jesus entered into the wilderness, and after 40 days of fasting there in the wilderness, Satan comes to Jesus and comes to him and asks, or says to him, if you are the Son of God. Did you catch that? The voice from heaven. God in heaven says, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And Satan comes to cast doubt. If you are the Son of God. And that battle rages on uh, all through life. And again, uh, in verse 5 of Matthew chapter 4, it says uh, the devil took him to the holy city and uh, says to him, if you are the Son of God. Well, he is the Son of God. He is beloved, and our kingdom depends on on this God. John 10.10 says, Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus comes to give life and to give it abundantly. That's the light that we have. And then uh, following this uh, uh, text that was read for us, we have the calling of those first disciples. And so Jesus really is beginning his ministry. And as he begins his ministry, he talks about this text from Isaiah 9, uh, the second verse, and it's quoted for us there. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death a light has dawned. What does that mean? Where is that from? Well, if you you understand the Old Testament history, and as the Israelites came out of bondage in Egypt, and as they spent 40 years in the wilderness and crossed the Jordan River, and Joshua conquered the land with the Israelites, and they divided the land, and Naphtali and uh, Zebulun were given portions of that land. Their parcels were in the northern kingdom of Israel around Capernaum but it was there in that northern part of Israel that the Assyrians the Assyrians came first the Babylonians came second a always comes before b in the alphabet but the Assyrians were first and as they entered into Israel they came through Zebulun and Naphtali and caused great destruction and harm. And so this is the area where Jesus uh, begins his ministry, and he begins his ministry by saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Perhaps you remember the words of John the Baptist as he begins his ministry back in the beginning of chapter 3 of Matthew, and as he comes, he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now it's interesting, Matthew is the only gospel that uses the kingdom of heaven. Mark and Luke, uh, the other two synoptic gospels, uses the kingdom of God. But Matthew, for 33 times in this book, uses that phrase, kingdom of heaven is near. So repent. We know what repent means. It means a change of mind that results in action. It means turning from our sin and leading a new life. It's making a conscious decision, and it's deciding that we're no longer going to honor the, the reign of Satan in our lives, but we're going to put our Lord Jesus Christ on the throne in our lives. In catechism, I could probably ask this question, and, and I could call on any one of you to respond to the question from the catechism, because we've all been through confirmation, Right? The catechism question is, what is the kingdom of God? And I printed it up there for you. Uh, The kingdom of God is the reign of God expressed in the hearts and lives of His people both now and through eternity. The kingdom of God comes as Jesus comes into this world. And that kingdom is here partially, but it's not complete and it won't be complete. It's a present reality but it's also a future hope. And it reminds us that God isn't finished with his kingdom yet. He's still working out his good purposes. The next question from the catechism, what did Jesus teach us concerning life in the kingdom of God? And again, Jesus taught us that life in the kingdom of God means we are to live in a loving relationship with God, self, and others. Perhaps you uh, are reminded of the Shema, the teachings from Deuteronomy chapter 6, where uh, Moses says, to honor the Lord your God, he is one. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Jesus summarized the commandments when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment of all? By saying, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And it's really a summation of what this answer to the question, what did Jesus teach us concerning life in the kingdom of God? It's all about loving relationships with God, self, and others. So what does this mean for us, and how does this... uh, Come into play in our lives as we think about the kingdom of heaven. What does the kingdom of heaven look like in our lives? And we are reminded of uh, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Old Covenant, the New Covenant. And uh, as we think about the, the Old Covenant, we recognize that it's all about the law. And we are to live our lives according to the law. That's an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth and uh, we live according to the law. And if we break the law, there are certain requirements that we have to follow through. We need to go to the priest. We need to sacrifice this animal or, or that dove. And, um, you know, there is a whole system of rules and regulations, and the law was all about the old covenant. But the new covenant talks about grace. and As we think about grace, We think of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, lest anyone should boast. And so grace enters in, and we realize that, you know, we no longer have that uh, obligation. You know, Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but really to fulfill it. And it is through his grace, it is through his sacrifice On the cross at Calvary, that we receive the grace that is so freely given. Uh, An acronym for grace would be God's riches at Christ's expense. He went to the cross that we would have freedom. He went to the cross that, that we would be forgiven of our sin. He went to the cross to shed his blood once and for all so that we would be set free from the burden of our sin. So the Old Covenant says that we are really like a slave, like the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, and they uh, had to live under the taskmasters, and they had to do certain things at certain times, and they had to produce those, those bricks. And as Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh saying, let my people go, Pharaoh said, you know, they're just lazy and we'll take their straw away and make them uh, find their own straw and make just as many bricks as before. And we understand the concept of a slave, and I don't think any of us would like to consider ourselves a slave. And yet, as we think about Satan, it's easy to become a slave to sin, isn't it? Easy to be tempted and to fall into that temptation, and easy to fall into that addiction and get beyond uh, the freedom that we have in Christ. And so the Old Covenant talks about being a slave, but the New Covenant talks about being a child of God. The New Covenant says that we are daughters and sons of Almighty God. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We are part of the uh, inheritance that comes, and it comes again by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The new covenant comes to remind us that we're in a a new day, a new kingdom, and that kingdom is part of that new covenant. The old covenant is, is all about being obedient. And the obedience that uh, comes through following the rules and the regulations, the the um, obedience that comes by being faithful, and uh, that really is our worth, is through our obedience. But the new covenant comes about relationship. It's about our relationship with God. It's about our relationship with Jesus. It's about our relationship with uh one another. And the Christian life in the new covenant, in the new kingdom that uh, is coming to earth, is about our relationship with God. Our identity in the new covenant as a child of God. The core value is all about relationship. But then we think about the motivation. What gives motivation in the old covenant? The motivation is fear. Fear that if we do not uh, do what God says, then he will bring about his judgment. We see that in the book of Judges. In fact, cycle after cycle after cycle. Seven cycles, the children of Israel uh, would obey God and then they would begin to fall away. They would rebel against him. God would bring uh, enemies to come and uh, oppress them. They would cry out to God, and and God would uh, uh, listen to them once again, and it was a continuous cycle. But the motivation factor is fear in the Old Covenant. In the New Covenant, the motivational factor is love. Love motivates us. We love one another because God first loved us. And He demonstrated that love for us in that even while we were yet sinners... Jesus went to the cross and died to set us free from that sin. So the motivation is love, and God himself begins that process in our hearts and in our lives. In the Old Covenant, we talk about rules. We talk about sin. We talk about those things that uh, keep us far from God. And the, the rules, uh, the Ten Commandments, the, the rules that uh, the rabbis and the teachers of the law came up with, and, and Jesus called them uh, the Pharisees' uh, whitewashed tombs. But the Old Covenant was all about rules. But the New Covenant, it's all about reconciliation. It talks about being reconciled to God. God is the one who sets us free, and in this new covenant, our focus becomes the fact that we are reconciled to God, that we have been forgiven. If we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. And so we have that focus. The old covenant focuses on the sinner, And it's the sinner that is the the focal point. But in the new covenant, it's the saint, the saint. Those who have confessed their sin, made their lives right with God. And it's this kingdom that is coming, this kingdom of heaven. It's here in part, but not fully recognized. And we recognize that, um, you know, a lot of people say that uh, they are sinners saved by grace. But anytime we consider ourselves in that category, we push ourselves back to the old covenant. And the old covenant is the, is the battleground of Satan. Satan tries to come to us and say, did God really say You can't eat of that tree. If you really are the son of God, then, you know, bow down. Turn these stones into bread. And Satan uses the same ploy in each one of our lives. If you really are a child of God, then why do you do those things? Or why do you let yourself be addicted to whatever? It's real. And the battle rages in each of our hearts. The Old Covenant pushes us back to be one with sin, to be connected with how Satan would destroy us, leads us back into slavery. But there's a freedom that comes. A freedom that comes. And the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians reminds us chapter 13 verse 12 he says now we see but a poor reflection then we shall see face to face now I know in part then I shall know fully even as I am fully known the kingdom is partially here the kingdom of heaven comes when we confess our sin and receive Jesus as our Savior. He gives us new life. The old is gone. The new is come. We are purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, we find these words We are God's people. The kingdom of heaven has come near, and the kingdom of heaven is there for us to grasp, to live by, to take hold of, and to recognize that we have let go of the old, and we are part of the new. But we're not completely there yet. God is still unfolding and revealing His kingdom. And we are in process. And that process is called sanctification. And that sanctification process is not just a a straight line that moves up like a graph. But it's a line that maybe we have some successes and rewards, but then we, we sin, we fall short, we miss the mark, and we fall back. But in the process... Hopefully we're moving towards the day when we take our last breath and enter into the kingdom of heaven, which will be eternal, our eternal home. John in the book of Revelation chapter 21 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Everything new. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This morning an opportunity for you to draw near to that kingdom of heaven to recognize the importance of repenting of our sin Romans 3.23 says that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God in other words we have missed the mark we have fallen short we need forgiveness and cleansing And so Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent. Let me pray. Our gracious God, we come before you this morning to recognize that we need you. As the hymn says, we are prone to wander, prone to leave the God, I love. And Lord, the battle is real, but your kingdom comes. And even as the prayer says, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We invite you to have your way with each one of us. And Lord, if there are things in our life that we need to confess in a time of silence, we ask, Lord, for you to listen to the prayers of your people. Your word, Lord, says, as far as the east is from the west, so far do you remove our transgressions from us. Lord, the victory is yours. The kingdom of heaven is near. Help us to live, knowing that your kingdom is in us. Help us, Lord, for we need you. We thank you, in Jesus' name.